You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. I think from now till whenever the Lord calls me home or I never preach again, I'm always going to have some kind of illustration dealing with my family, all right? It's just like, I mean, I hear pastor and he's, a, he's just got a handful of kids and then I multiply that over so I'm going to have twice as many and maybe four times as many as other preachers. So it, it always, it always comes up, uh, always comes up this way and so uh, having a large family, it truly, it truly is a, a blessing. I'm not going to tell you that, well, like any family, we have our ups and downs, but by and large, the ups will always outweigh the downs, all right, because they are, they are a blessing, and, um, and, but it also presents many uh, challenges. And one of those challenges is what I would classify as the classic middle child syndrome. Now, if I wouldn't explain any further beyond the classic middle child syndrome, we would probably know where this is heading at. And after uh, uh, asking my daughter Jenna uh, about this, and I, you know, she doesn't like to be involved in these type of things, but I was trying to tell her that I believe that God could use you as an illustration to not to make you look less, but to help other people and to present truth. And uh, so, uh, so we've had this conversation at, at this house. I can't tell you how many times we've had this conversation, but um, sh- uh, there has been the claim at our house that our oldest two children are our favorites. You know, that they are our favorites. Maybe they're our favorites now because they're already out of the house. I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's the reason why they're my favorites now because I don't have to keep after them as teenagers. They're somebody else's problem right now. I don't know. But, uh, but uh, they, uh, she'll say things like, well, they're your favorite. They never did anything wrong. And, you know, we're trying to explain things to them. And both my wife and I, we're, I mean, people are probably going to throw rocks at us. We're the youngest child. And they're like, you're probably on that car like, well, you're the youngest child. You always got babied. Mom and dad watched after you. Well, we, we've heard that line before, like, well, you don't understand, you are the youngest child, you don't understand what a, what a middle child uh, is going through, through all of this. And what she, is, what she is saying to us is this, is she is saying that we treat our other children at a different level than we do our other children. That we will sacrifice our care for our other, other children and even for her, for the for the oldest the oldest two we will sacrifice how you feel and all of those things because we care so much more about our about our older children now sometimes the length of the conversation goes so long that i'm almost convinced myself i do care about the older two but uh but uh but the reality is is and i think you understand that it's not true that is that's not what happens and, that, and trying to convince uh, her of that sometimes can be a, a challenging and maybe don't always answer it perfectly. But I do want you to imagine for a moment if her premise is true. In our house, if her premise is true, 
that we have favorites in our house, whether it's the oldest two or whether it's uh, the youngest two, which is probably questionable, but uh, the oldest two, and we say that that, that, is, that is true, then the reality is that you and I would say that would be, there would be some dysfunction and problems within the home. Uh, God confirmed tonight's message when Pastor mentioned it offhand this morning about favorites in Jacob's home. That's a dysfunctional mess because of favoritism played, uh, played within in the house. And if there is favoritism in, in your home, then I'm going to tell you this, that is something that cannot be ignored, but it's something that must be dealt with or at least to other, other problems. And you see, so this idea of this middle child syndrome is not something just relegated to one of my children. Because it can even happen in the lives of the godliest of people. Because I think in the Old Testament, the prophet Samuel did have a problem with that. Because God one day told him to go anoint the next king of Israel. And he went and saw all of Jesse's sons. And God gave Samuel a gentle rebuke. And he said that God sees, uh, uh, man sees on the outward, but God sees on the heart. In other words, he's telling Samuel, you have chosen your favorite to be a king, and your favorite's not my favorite. In other words, you've got a middle child syndrome about you, and you need to correct this very thing, and God uh, gently corrected him, and things got right. But the reality is it's not just there, but it's what we see here tonight. This middle child syndrome is a problem that is brought up to us in, in the book of James. And it's something that is in the brethren, in the believers there. And as we've been going throughout the, the series here about, about faith works, in other words, individuals and man will see your faith by your works. So it's going to have all these things that accompany them. And we we're talking about that how you deal with trials and deal with uh, temptation to sin, whether you're a hearer or a doer of the word. And then we started getting into some practical things, really, last week that started saying, okay, these are some identifiable traits which would indicate whether I'm walking with the Lord, whether I'm growing, whether I'm being a doer of the word and not a hearer only. So James comes to a point in chapter number 2, that it almost preaches itself without explanation that James is saying, if you are saying, I am more than just a hearer of the word, but I'm an actual doer of the word, then your life is not going to have this problem or this sin of the middle child. In other words, you're not going to have this idea of favoritism over one person over another person. And as we're going to look at this text today, I think it's a lot broader than we may even realize. Because there's a specific illustration given to us, but I think once we see the specific illustration, you're going to be able to say, that goes a lot deeper than just what is before us and what James has illustrated for us here today. So it's very obvious, some truths, and when you're studying are just on the surface. They're, they're right there. It doesn't take a lot of mining, so to speak, to, to find it. Because James says in chapter number one, or verse number one of chapter two, my brethren, 
have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with respect of persons. Now, listening to that, this may be, if there's ever a verse in the Bible that a teenager might want to take out of context, this would be it. Because it's almost sounding like, well, God says, don't be a respecter of persons. And so it's, is God saying we should have a license to be disrespectful? And I think some people do think they have a license to be disrespectful. But that's not what God's talking about. Because it's very clear in the Bible, whatever disrespect that God is dealing with here is not the kind of respect that you are to give to somebody that's in authority over you. God has placed certain entities within your life, whether it's your parents, your government, your boss, that you are to have respect towards them. So we're not dealing then with this idea of being disrespectful to God-ordained authorities and, and uh, things that he's placed in our lives. That's not what this respecting of persons is dealing with here. When we are dealing with the re, uh, respecting of persons, this is what we're dealing with. We are dealing with giving partial or unfair treatment to others. The word that's, uh, uh, that is used for here, dealing with the respect of persons, literally has the meaning of receiving the face. And the idea behind receiving the face, just like a lot of words, they evolve in meaning. It originally meant receiving of the face that if you met somebody, that you would show them favor. That uh, you see that in the, in the Bible, a guest would come to you, you would receive them by face, and that you would show them great favor. You would want to do them well. But over time, it went from showing favor to showing favoritism which is two totally different things. It went from showing, well, I want everybody to be well to I just want you to be well or I want this group to, to be well. It, it became, so it has the idea then of being partial in your treatment of other people. That how you treat other people well, uh, in one sense, you will treat them differently than you treat uh, an, another, group, another group of people or individuals. Literally, I have a commentary at home, and I really like it because it will give the Greek sentence in its cont how it literally would say in Greek. And it says, my brethren, do not let the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the glory, be connected with respect of persons. He said, do not let this be in connection with, uh, with your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is, it is not compatible. If you are going to say, I will show you, my, uh, show you my faith by my works, then this matter is not ever going to be compatible with a walk with Jesus Christ. It'll never, it cannot be in connection with it. You see, not being a respecter of persons is something that, that is not just something, a New Testament principle. It is something that God had even woven into the law in the, in the Old Testament there. Because God was very concerned about the respecting of, of, of individuals. And it specifically came out in the law when they set up judges. And, and uh we have, that, we have that fear in our, in our own country that, you know, you go before a judge 
you hope you get an honest and fair judge, that he wouldn't be biased, that when you go before him, regardless of who you are, regardless of your background, regardless of any other factor that you'd go before a judge and you would get a fair deal before a judge. In the Old Testament law, God had to remind those that would be in position of judging that you will judge the poor and the rich alike, the mighty and the meek, that you are to judge all of them equally and fairly. Because it could be real easy, you know, if someone rich came before you to sell the law, you know, if you showed them the right, uh, the, gave them the right verdict or decision, you know, that could be pretty lucrative business. And God says, I want you to understand this, that the poor man, though he may not be able to hire a whole lawyer team to go in and represent him before the judge, he has just as much equal ground as the rich man that comes before him. So God was very concerned about this in the Old Testament, and the, the principle is there that the God, this isn't just something that God was concerned about now in the book of James, but it's something that God's been concerned with throughout the Word of God. And not being a respecter of persons, it says, in connection uh, to your faith with the Lord Jesus Christ, because the reason that is, because your faith in Jesus Christ is, you're to be a reflection of God in your life. You are, your goal in growing up is, in Christ is to have this relationship with God that other people can see Christ, can see the Heavenly Father in you. That, that's, that's your goal. It's not just to clean up your act, it's to reveal God in your lives. And the Bible lets us know this, that God is not a respecter of persons, not at all. In the book of Deuteronomy it says, for the Lord your God is a God of gods and a Lord of uh, Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty, a terrible, which regardeth not persons, neither taketh reward. He executed judgment of the fatherless and the widow, and he loveth the stranger and giveth him food and raiment. In the book of Acts, it says, for there is no respect of persons with God. God is not a respecter of, of any individual. Do you know he treats everybody fairly? Well, I've read the Bible, I, I, just, I, don't, th I don't think so. Well, it is true, because does he offer salvation to everybody? The last time I checked, there's not, if he was going to be partial, none of us could get saved. I'm, I'm just telling you, because we're all worthless, and I wouldn't offer us nothing. I wouldn't offer us, I wouldn't even offer us a moldy sandwich. I mean, I'm just telling you, we're just terrible. But God offers salvation to everybody. I, I, I mean, God judges everybody equally. I've been in my Bible reading. And you read that God is talking about he's going to judge uh, Israel over and over again in the prophets. But then you'll notice he's like, well, Moab, you're up next. Ammon, you're up next. Tyre, you're up next. In other words, God is saying, I'm fair to everybody. Everybody who's in sin and is in violation of my law, understand that it's coming around at some point. In other words, God is always fair. God is always equal. He is the God of all the earth and shall he not do right? And he always does right. He is always fair and just. He never treats anyone any differently. He treats everyone fairly and without partiality. You can go to, you can go, uh, to the bank on that one. And having faith in Christ then, and, call, and calling yourself a Christian, it is then not compatible for you to have partiality towards other people. 
It's not compatible. It's not compatible to who God is. It is being impartial is contrary to the nature of God. And when we're saved, we have been given a new nature in Christ. We have been born again. We've been given a new nature. Regardless of you believe it or not, you have been given a divine nature by God. And that divine nature that's been given to us by God is to be one that's marked in the same way that he is, that we're created in his image. And his image is this, there's no partiality with him. That everybody is, is equally in the eyes of God. Everybody is. You see, your faith in Christ should be far above, then, what the rest of the world is doing. See, the rest of the world will show favoritism or partiality for one group over another. We, we see it all the time. That this group, uh, well, we represent this. You don't believe what we want. Well, then we'll never talk to you again. Well, that's that's wonderful way to handle problems. But don't we see that all, all, all the time? I mean, sometimes we, we, it becomes a joke, but I really think that many times it may be a reflection of really what goes on in people's lives. You ever see people just get divided over sports teams? Yeah. All right, well, I'm not going to confess anything at this moment, but... But I'm just telling you, but is that a possibility that's an illustration of a deeper problem? Because you get people so bent up over I, how many football games or things I've turned off after a weekend that this big fist fight broke out at, at, at some stadium or something like that. And you know what that's telling to me? This world, it shows its favoritism and partiality and grouping other people together. And so when you see that, God's saying, if you are walking by faith and faith is doing a work in your life, this is not to be a manifestation. This is what the world does. This is not what the believer does. We are in a different category. And so James is bringing this point out to us and he gives us an, an illustration and he gives it to the believers here that they were guilty of showing this sin of uh, favoritism. A partiality. They had the middle child syndrome going on full force. And so the illustration is so easy for us to understand. As you read here, it says, verse number two, For there come into your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment. And ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place. And say to the poor, stand thou there or sit under my footstool. One book that I read said this was the short-sighted usher. And I think there is some truth to that. Because this guy was very short-sighted. Because it's easy to understand. Maybe we put it in today's context. Here comes this guy in. And uh, you just saw him pull up out in the parking lot. Maybe he's got some brand new Cadillac Escalade or or some $50,000 pickup truck that, uh, that just wows you. I mean, it's, I mean he's, he takes it to the car wash three times a day. I mean, it gets waxed. I mean, the whole thing, the whole thing is good. He, he opens up the door, and you almost get blinded in the sun because of the glare off of his new truck. And, he's, and uh, I mean, he's got, he's got a nice gold ring on, it, on, his, on his hand, and... Uh, you know, making sure you know know about it, and uh, I mean, he's he's got a, a nice nice suit, 
and not, he didn't just go down to a, a thrift store or something. I mean, he's got a designer suit. I mean, he's got one of these $1,000 jobs uh, as he's walking in there. Uh, I mean, he, he's got the expensive leather shoes. Uh, I, I mean, he is looking, he's looking sharp. And man, he comes in, in, into church, and I'm, I'm thinking maybe this usher's thinking, man, he's not on our church membership roll. Man, we get on here, we could probably get that bus barn built or get the shindles on the roof here. And like, sign this guy up. This is amazing. And I mean, I think you almost had people falling over who's going to seat this guy in the church. And they're like, well, you can go ahead and sit here. And I think about 10 other people said, no, sit here. I know I've always sat in the same pew for the last 15 years, but I'm willing to give it up one time for this special event. You can come sit in my spot there. And they're, they're ooing and eyeing all over this guy. And then all of a sudden this man comes in with vile raiment. The best way I can describe it is the same description that the Bible is using here is the same description that the Bible uses for Lazarus, who the dogs licked his sores, who sat out at the gate of the rich man, and the rich man wouldn't even let him have table scraps. And he died out there in his miserable condition. I mean, this guy is down and out. Down and out. And even if we don't even put it that far, maybe he comes in, he's got all hand-me-downs. Maybe he goes to Goodwill. I don't have a problem with Goodwill. I'm just saying. But it may be just, just a way of illustration showing you this, that his clothing is the exact opposite of what this guy is coming in. Probably looks like one of my kids, half their soul is falling off their shoe when they show up to church. I mean, this guy's looking bad. He might look like one of those guys that walk down the, downtown here in Sioux Falls around Union Gospel Mission. He might look like one of those kind of guys. You know, those kind of guys that Brother Maurer talked about that have laid, passed out drunk in his parking lot. One of those kind of guys. And he's coming, he's coming into, the, into the church service. And uh, the usher is like, you're never going to believe it. All the front rows filled up. I mean, they just filled up fast. Weirdest thing ever. Never, had it, never seen it before. But the chairs in the back, oh, they're really comfortable. I mean, I know it's not as convenient, but they're, they're, still, pretty, they're still pretty nice. I, I mean, they're all, they're, they got a little padding left on them. And this will be a perfect spot for you. And you look at that and you say, Man, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't, that doesn't seem very well. Both men came in and received very, very different uh, reception at the church. And James said, this is what's going on. I've seen this happen. Uh, I've seen it as a, as, a, as a witness. And James points out to him just how bad this is. In verse 4, it, um, it says... Are you not then partial in yourselves and are become judge of evil thoughts? Now the best way I can sum this up in all the reading that I've done is this. If you're familiar with Jesus and he taught on the Sermon on the Mount there, in Matthew chapter number 7, many times we don't understand that completely or many people take it out of context, about judge not lest you be judged. What that's talking about is having this spirit having a critical fault-finding spirit about other people. And then what, 
what Christ is trying to teach there is before you go and try to fix somebody else's problem, deal with your big critical fault-finding spirit in your own life because you've got your own log and that spirit is worse than whatever you found in somebody else. And what James is, James is trying to bring essentially that same point to yourself. You think you're so right in the treatment of other people and being partial in your treatment to, to other people here. You've convinced yourself that this is the right thing. But in your partiality, you are judges against your own self because God hates that. That's what God is looking at. God is not looking at the, the wealth or the poverty of the two individuals. What he's looking at is the response of his people to those two people who just came into the service. And regardless of where they're at in their own lives, they are in, in a much more evil position than they are because of the way that they're responding to those people coming into their church. You, you understand what I'm saying? He's saying that spirit is quite a bit worse than whatever these two men are up to, good or bad, because all we know is what by outward appearance we know nothing more than that. But he said regardless of where they're at, you've got your own problems, and when you make partial judgments upon others along this, you have your own issue that God is dealing with. That God is saying, don't now, don't worry about where they're at, now you need to look at your own heart because your partiality is something that God clearly does not like because he says it's sin. So that, I don't like that. You are, you have a, a bigger issue. But even beyond all that, it says this. <clears throat> it says, um, hearken my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of the world rich in faith? And heirs of the kingdom which ye have promised to them that love him, but ye have despised the poor. Look down at him. You know what he's saying? Your judgment is so wrong. You know nothing about these people. Because later on in James, he's going to talk about rich people. And not in a very positive manner. Because they are literally treading people underneath their feet to make money. I mean, they're, they're having sweatshops, basically, and they're just getting what they can out of people so they can line their own pockets, don't care if it hurts anybody else. We're going to see that later on in the book of James. And he says, some of these men are so bad, they blaspheme the name of God. These men, they reproach God by what they say and by what they do and by their actions. And you have elevated somebody, you could be elevating somebody just like that. Someone who's a blasphemer against God. Not even a believer in Christ. And here comes this poor person in. And they could be richer than the guy who had everything. Because if you're not saved, you're, you're poor. You are in poverty. But when you are saved, I'm telling you, I mean, you're, you're rich. You know, we sing this song, I'm a child of the king. Yeah, that's what it is. And you know, there's gospel song talking about you may just see that I'm in rags and all this, but understand I have a better position in my relationship with God. And we see that over and over that the Bible uses those very things. Go back to the rich man and Lazarus. If we were going to do a wealth and poverty statement in that, in that portion of scripture where the rich man died and went to hell and Lazarus went into Abraham's bosom, I don't think it's going to take us a long course to figure out who is the rich man in all that situation because you know how much that rich man took with him to hell he took nothing with him and man he desired 
anything just to escape the torments that he's in. And the, the poor man who was actually really rich says, man, I'm having a pretty good time now. This is pretty amazing. You see, so James is trying to say, when you're partial, you may be elevating then someone whose heart is desperately wicked. Someone that it may be in direct opposition to God, has nothing to do with him, and then you despise actually one of his own dear children in the same, at the same time. You see why God doesn't like that? <laughs> I mean, it should be obvious why, why God do, doesn't like that. And then... Because what happens is, is what James says, too, is those that blaspheme Christ, when you make partial judgments, then you can bring a reproach to the name of Christ. You bring a reproach to the name of Christ. Now, there's a lot of things that you may want to do in this world, but I wouldn't put that on one of your lists, okay? To bring a blemish to the name, name of Christ. We should not ever have that to be our desire and to be our goal. Now, last week, I know that pastor had mentioned, you know, I think it was last week that someone came in and were like, oh, man, everyone else is dressed right and, and, and uh, man, a little uncomfortable coming in. You ever wonder if maybe that individual has been somewhere experiencing the same thing amongst believers who may be doing this exact problem? Yeah. Well, that's, what, that's what, what I think. But how are we when, when someone else comes and visits us in, in, our, in our church? I mean, I, I sometimes see, and, and uh, I'm not blind. <laughs> sometimes we have some people that, that come in, and I'm just like, I'm fresh out of the world. I, I, I mean, I wish Tyler and Cadence were here, and, uh, but if you could easily look at them and go, okay, uh, looking all at their piercings and other issues that are going on in their life and make a judgment and say, you know what? I know, I, I like those visitors over there, just the whole family, at least, you know, uh, you know, they're at least married, and they got all this thing, and, and all this going on here, I, I'll go talk to them, those are the ones I single out when we go shake hands, and you may say tonight, well, this is an issue for, for me, that I don't have a problem you know, as someone looks rich or poor, I treat everybody equally when it, when it, uh, in this area. It doesn't bother me what they look like as, as a visitor. But i got to ask myself this. Is James just giving me a specific illustration or is he trying to teach me a broader truth? That's what I'm thinking is. Because it would be easy to sit there and go, well, I... I've never done this, and I'm not seen, I don't know of anyone rich that's come in, into church like the Bible's talking about. I don't think I've ever done anything like that. Whew, praise God, we're going to go home, and uh, I'll be mindful of that next time. Thanks for, thanks for that portion of uh, scripture and that reminder. I'll be thinking that one over next time someone comes in and dressed dress that way. But do you think that's what James was really getting at, just to have a narrowed focus point and just say, well, that's good enough? I would venture to say that this is nothing more than an illustration of a broader truth. Because all he's saying is this, I'm going to point to something that you already know existed. And I don't know if this happened the last Sunday that they had church or something like, it was fresh on their minds. So James says, 
I'm just going to pull out what's fresh on your mind and I'm going to point out what you did last Sunday and why God doesn't like that. And if you say you're growing and being a doer of the word, this should have never happened. But I think what he's trying to say is, is this, and we have to ask, ask this question, and I think we already know the answer to it. Can we, be partial to our, can we be partial to people for other reasons than by the clothing or the wealth that they possess? Absolutely. We can, we can, uh, we can be partial and show middle child syndrome to people for all sorts of reasons. Listen to this. One preacher said, we tend to put everyone in some kind of stratified category. You know, so what he's saying is, is this. By stratified, we put people into layers. It's called, in, back in India, it's called a caste system. We as believers have a tendency to build caste systems amongst other people. Not just the lost. But even the people in this own room here will place other believers into a caste system. We will rank people. Please tell me, tell me that I'm not the only one that's done stuff like this. We, we do this. And, and, and if we're honest with ourselves, and I'm being honest with you, there are times that I'm just like, well, that guy wants to come talk to me. I'm just like, bathroom break. But and the reality is, is, He's not on the caste system that I want to talk to him that day. But then halfway to the bathroom, I find somebody that I do like to talk to, and I talk to that person instead. You, you know what I'm saying? You, you say, so it goes on to say, we tend to put it, um, everyone in some kind of strat, uh, stratified category, higher or lower than other people. It has to do with their looks. It has to do with their wardrobe. It has to do with the kind of car they drive the kind of house they live in. Sometimes it has to do with their race. Sometimes it has uh, with their social status. Sometimes outward characteristics of personality. There's all sorts of grounds as believers. We have to be careful about being partial to other people. I think right now we have a, definitely have a, a crisis at our southern border. And I, and I, it's going to be real easy and to be tempted, and maybe you already struggle with this in your life, to view now not almost any Hispanic with a skeptical eye now. Well, they probably broke the law. They're probably not here legally. Let's just be honest with ourselves. It's becoming more difficult because up here, but I, I know when I, the further south you get, I mean, it's, it's become difficult. But not just that. I mean, you, you think of, you think of, uh, you may judge somebody on their spiritual maturity. <laughs> That's, it's kind of funny. Because when you start judging people on your spiritual maturity, yeah, I'm not going to talk to this person because i am got farther than they are. Well, you're probably further behind because of that attitude. But the reality is sometimes we create this standard in our own mind. Well, that person's spiritual and that one's not. I'll go talk to that person. I like to hang out with that person at church but not so much that person. I think this morning uh, in the men's prayer meeting, Brother Samuel talked about uh, some teens that are going to be going to camp that aren't even a part of our church here. I tell you this, they're probably going to look and act and do some things that you say, well, that's not good. 
But I know this, as teenagers, if you're, if you're not careful, if someone new comes into your group because they're not you're in your caste system, you'll ostracize or you'll not pay any attention to that person. And the reality is that may be the reason why that they never come to faith in Jesus Christ because you decided I wasn't going to incorporate them because they are not a part of our caste system. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know, and sometimes we, we're in partial treatment. Somebody in church will commit some kind of sin, and it doesn't even need to be gross. It, it, maybe, they, maybe they told a lie, and man, you're, you're on them. I mean, you know what they did. You know what they said, and I proved it to be, I know it's false, and here's why it's false, and man, you got all the evidence. You're like Perry Mason. I mean, you got it all figured out. But then when it comes to you being caught in dishonesty, you're a lot easier on yourself than somebody else. No, it's, it's true. That, that is partiality. Do you understand? This has a lot of tentacles. It's not just rich and poor. This has to deal with your treatment of other people. Are you treating them fairly and treating partially? I almost wonder, and I was thinking even this morning about tonight's message, if we had... I, I follow me here in the today's context. We had a gay married couple come right down here in the front row. They're holding hands. They got their arms around each other in church. And said, that's just, that's just sick and wrong. Well, it, it is a sin, and it is gross, and it is wrong. But are you going, what's your treatment going to be of those people? What is your treatment going to be of, of those people? I know this, when I was in mine, I had someone that was a member of our church that did something really bad a long time ago. And there's some people that threw them under the bus. But instead of throwing them on the bus, I thought, if I don't help him, who, in the, who is going to help this guy? Because if he can't get help from the church, then who else is going to give him help? And, and the reality is, but he had been subjected to partial treatment. Though you may say, well, it's excusable because look what he did. All right. But it's all of us have sinned. Some of it is worse than others in our eyes, but all of it nailed Jesus to the cross. Do you understand that? I, I found this quote on the internet, and I found this, I, I thought, well, what a convicting thought. It said, we like to say the ground is level at the cross, but it's not always level at the church. Think about that. It's not always level at the church. You see, all we went to the men's advance, and, and I was just thinking about this the, the whole time, because I'm just like, when you study for stuff, God just keeps like piling it on you. Like, let's just see how, what you're going to do with this. I mean, we checked into the hotel, and, and I got the front desk. He looked a little different to me. And I'm just like, I'm like, what do you got going on here? And God's just like, are you judging him? <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, I'm like, all right, I'm going to go back up and read James chapter number two here for a moment. Because though he may be different, I'm different. He may be weird, but I know I am. And the reality is, is I have to be careful about my partial treatment to others. And so what we have here then, James says, if your faith works, then understand this tentacles of partiality and respect of persons is far-reaching. And understand this, when you sin and what makes it so bad is it's a sin against the Lord. 
Because he said, this is not compatible to our faith. It is not compatible to our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Do you understand? That's a high, in my mind, that sounds like a really high sin to be committing. That when you show respecter of person, you then are sinning against the Lord himself. Well, I, I don't think it's that bad. Well, when we begin to understand him and really make application to this, understand this. If Jesus, if James tells us not to have respect or not to be a respecter of persons, and it's not compatible with the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, then being impartial should also look like the Lord Jesus Christ then, right? And when I read the Gospels, that's the one of the most amazing things I think I see of Jesus in there. Is, do you realize how impartial that he was? I mean, here, here, think about this for a moment. He goes to a Pharisee's house named Simon. And I mean, they have, they're having roast preacher for lunch, to be honest with you. And they, he's a guest of honor there. And they have all the big wigs around there. I mean, I mean, you got the top echelon of society. And in there, the Bible says a, a woman with a reputation came in into this gathering. I'm going to tell you this. The Bible is always very kind in, in dealing with serious sin. It really is. And being discreet about people's sins sometimes. And I'm going to just tell you this. She had an immoral lifestyle and made money off of it, if you understand what I mean tonight. And you know what? Jesus, when she broke the bottle of perfume and, and you know, wept over his feet, cleaned his feet and poured perfume on it, he didn't just say, you dirty, wretched woman. I know how you bought that perfume. You're going to go ahead and pour that on me? He didn't. He treated Simon just as much as he treated her. He forgave her of her sins, and Simon could have been forgiven if he would have had the humility to be forgiven, but he didn't. But he didn't. You think of the graciousness that Christ had. Not, he had it for his own people. He wasn't willing that any of them should perish. He wanted to gather them under his wings like a mother hen would his chick. But even when one day a Gentile woman, a Syrophoenician woman went to him, she was outside of the covenant promises of God. And she, he said, you've got to come help my daughter. She is dying. You've got to do something for her. And the, the disciples said, send her away. We want nothing to do with this woman. She's a Gentile. And Jesus says, well, it's not uh, fit, to, uh, fit for you to give the food that belongs to the children. And, I mean, this is an awesome answer. She's like, well, even the dogs get the crumbles underneath the table they even they even they get something underneath the table and the lord said i've not found so great a faith this woman has great faith and he did what she asked her to do what i'm saying is this he he had faith towards he would be gracious to anybody jew gentile alike it, it didn't make a difference jesus if you came a woman came to an adultery he didn't he didn't have a problem with a woman taking an adultery he had a rich man he had multiple rich people come to him he didn't have a problem with that he was gracious and merciful and compassionate to everybody he rebuked those that needed to be rebuked whether they were lost or whether they were saved but the lord jesus christ was equal to every single person regardless man i'm just thankful for that because that he that he's treat that that's how our lord is because I couldn't have got saved if he wasn't that way. Because I know this, some of you guys, I would have in my own mind, have a better testimony than I do of what you've experienced in your life. And I would say, well, you're more worthy to be saved than I am. But yet the Lord said, I will save you if you'll call upon me. 
And you see, he is impartial. This is the faith of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was very uh, impartial. And we are then to have that kind of walk in relationship with, with Christ. If we are going to display our faith by our works, then it should reveal Jesus Christ and that kind of impartiality in our lives. And you say, well, how do I get to that stage to where I can be impartial like this? Some quick thoughts here. One is this. When you view other people, you need to view them eternally, not temporarily. You need to view people eternally, not in a temporal sense in the present. When Jesus taught his disciples, he, the Bible says he looked out at the people and he saw them not as drunks and thieves and adulterers, self-righteous. The Bible says he saw them as sheep being scattered without a shepherd. And the Bible said he was moved with compassion on them. In other words, he saw beyond their shell and was looking at their eternal value. And when, you, when people come in, we need to look at the eternal value of the individual, not what we see on the outward side. We need to view others eternally and not temporarily. We need to view believers then as one in whom Christ lives. If you're saved, you need to view everyone as, you know what, well, I don't really like that, that believer. I'm just telling you, the same Jesus that lives in you lives in them. And that's when we view other believers. Well, that believer is annoying. Well, you're annoying too. But understand that Jesus lives in you just as much as he lives in that other person. So you both can be annoying together because you share the same relationship. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's true. And you need to look at uh, when it comes to non-believers and people who come into the church and know anything about them. This would be a safe bet. Just view them as people that Christ died for on the cross. Yes, That's how you need to view people. That this is somebody that God found intrinsic value in that he would send his son to die on the cross for. Just think about that. Because we all talk about the great price of his sacrifice that he paid our, paid our debt. Well, he paid the debt for everybody. That's what it's, it, it's a salvation offered to everybody. And when you look at other people, and they may come in like they look like they've just, they've just come out of a tackle box or something. But I'm just telling you this, you just look at them and say, instead of looking at those things, remember, this is something that Christ died for. Amen. This is something that Christ loves. Yeah. And if Christ loves them and died for them, I'm going to show them, the, show them the same thing. I mean, I, I, even if they, if they smell, the, smell the high heaven, I'm just going to sit next to them and befriend them and try to, try to win them to Christ because Christ died for them on the cross. Amen. And then I would just and dovetail to all that is we need to view everyone as the object of God's love. Amen. Right. It, it's true. God loves, I mean, this sounds liberal, but God does love everybody yes. equally. He does. He loves everybody equally. Well, it doesn't seem like how he's treating me is very loving. No, he always treats everybody lovingly and equally. I'm not, it would be contrary to his nature because the Bible says God is immutable and it also says that God is love. So then he has to always then be what? Always loving to everybody. And understand this, that kind of love even puts up with unlovable traits in other people. And so... When we look at this then tonight, if we're going to walk in 
We're going to walk, uh, have a walk that shows our faith, and we're going to have works to go along with it. It's going to deal with our, how we treat other people and whether we treat them with a middle child syndrome or not. I want you to go over to 1 Timothy 5.21. We're going to be closing with this. 1 Timothy 5.21. I mean, this is <clears throat> straightforward. 1 Timothy 5, 21. I charge thee before God. That sounds pretty, that sounds like someone's pointing fingers at me. Like Paul said, I charge thee before God. He says, and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. Man, this sounds like a packed courtroom to me. And he says, that thou observe these things Without preferring one before another, do nothing, do nothing by partiality. It, it's straight there today. And we're going to be closing here, but I'm just going to ask if, in your own life, are you treating everybody equally? I'm not, whether it's a visitor that comes in the church, whether it's your uh, friend, family member, do you treat everybody equally? Uh, amongst the church body here. We're supposed to dwell in unity, but do you have a caste system that you've developed amongst who you shake hands with, who you talk with, who you hang out with after church and talk to other people? Are there people that you've avoided for whatever reason you've determined in your mind? Well, I'm not going to talk to them. Are there people like that in your life? As what I read tonight and what the Bible says, do all things without partiality, because if you're going to be a doer of the word, then you can't be a partial person. All right, let's go ahead and stand and we'll, we'll have a word of prayer and then we'll have a time of invitation here. Lord, I just thank you for this chance to, to open up the word of God tonight. I'm thankful for the attention to God's word tonight. And God, oh, it's so easy to be, to be partial to other people, God. To rank people in a certain way. To develop a system in our own heart and our own mind why this person is better than another person, God. And God, this should not be a manifestation in our lives if we are going to show our faith by our works. So God, I, today I want to pray that you'll just work now in this invitation. And God, however you seem fit, I pray that you'll do a work. And God, there may be somebody in here today that's not saved. And they say, well, the Lord, there's no way he could save me. There's no way he loves me. And I'm going to tell you this, he loves you just as much as anybody else in this room. And if you give him an opportunity, God... They'll come down here that you'll save them. So, Lord, I just pray for that. God, I just pray that you'll work now in this invitation and ask us in Christ's name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.